Well, welcome everyone. It's very good to see you. Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Colossians chapter 1, page 833 in the church Bibles, if that would be of some service to you. I want to welcome everyone. Uh, My name is Joe Franzone, and I serve as the pastor here at West Cohasset Chapel, and I'm very glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. Just want to draw your attention in your worship folder, I think most of you that receive one got one of these Awana list, and, and so what we're trying to do is commit ourselves to pray for these 120 plus kids, pray for their salvation, pray for their parents' salvation if needed, and for God to establish them in a local church. So we're, I think this June's prayer service, we're going to spend a lot of time praying for these kids, and so if you could just make that part and parcel, those of you that have a, a, a prayer life and a normal routine prayer life, just keep that with you, close to you. We just want to make sure that we spend this summer um, asking God for his mercy. And God's been very good. One of our goals a few years ago was to see more families that were in Awanas be in public worship, and we're seeing that. And so I just want to commend that to all of you. So I'm going to begin reading in just a second from verse 21 to verse 23 of Colossians. And then we're going to pray and ask God for his help this morning. This is this has the potential to be a wonderful um, talk, so we'll, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see. That's why we pray. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. A slave is a better way to translate that word. Let's bow together, please, as we seek the help that we need this morning from God. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eyes at times can see the very form of the one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of God's redeeming love and and my unworthiness. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you for the privilege that we now have before us to be in this place at this time in order that we would meet with you and hear from you, the living God. This is a grace that we do not deserve. So that we ask this morning that the Holy Spirit would come and be our teacher, that you will direct that divine dialogue from the pages of your Bible through the voice of a mere man, and that you, God, would accomplish your purposes this morning in this place that you have already established from eternity. We come then, God, before your throne of grace expectantly, and we come very humbly like little children before you, just, just waiting, God, for you to do what must be done. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the past two weeks in our time together, we've sought out to answer the question, who is Jesus? And in order to discover the answer to the question, who is Jesus, we didn't take a survey, did we? We didn't ask ourselves the question, the sometimes, sometimes dangerous question, so what do you think? 
No, what we did was we skipped the mind of man about who is Jesus and we went straight to the mind of God in the Word of God, the Bible. And we worked through these verses, 15 to 20. You can see there if your Bible is open in chapter 1 of Colossians in which Paul gave us a very clear, concise, unchanging, unbending, authorized answer to, to the question of exactly just who Jesus is. So that if someone asked you the question or if we ask ourselves the needed question as our life unfolds, who is Jesus? As you look at your Bible, beginning in verse 15, you would have to say at least this. Jesus is the invisible or the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is the creator of the world and the universe. Jesus is the sustainer of the world. He holds everything together, including the universe. Jesus Christ has supremacy over all things in this world at every point. And Jesus has supremacy over the invisible world as well, which, me, which means a good thing, which means Jesus has the right and he has the might to say something about everything, which all of us must adhere to. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and Jesus has reconciled everything. Men and women, the world, the cosmos, the universe, he has reconciled everything, verse 20, back to God by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So if you think about Jesus, this is the cosmic Christ. This is almighty Christ. This is the all-sufficient and supreme Christ, and it isn't any wonder that he is to be worshiped that he is to be adored, that he has to be honored, and he has to be spoken of with a liberal frequency. Now, immediately after Paul tells the Colossian Christians just who Jesus is, he reminds the Colossian Christians what they once were. And you can see that in verse 21 if your Bibles are open. In other words, after Paul gives very thick theology concerning the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ, he then brings it down to kind of basic practicality in order that we might have the answer to another important question. What is a Christian? That's a monumental question. What is a Christian? And the reason that we can answer that question with certainty is not because anyone desires to sit in judgment over anyone else. God alone is the final judge of a person's true experience of salvation. I mean, if you think about it, how many arguments have started over a table, over a meal, over Facebook, as others have desired to sit in judgment on someone's salvation? God is the final judge of a person's true experience of salvation. However, the Bible is the only judge of how we can describe salvation, okay? Only God is the final judge of one's salvation, but God's Word, the Bible, is the only judge of how we can describe salvation, And so what the Bible does in many other places besides the one this morning is the Bible defines salvation and what happens and what keeps happening in salvation. So that this question, what is a Christian, can be definitively answered, okay? So the question, what is a Christian, not only can be answered, it has to be answered, right? People's lives are at stake. People's eternal destiny is at stake, it can't be one of those things where you say, well, what do you think and what do you think? No, this is, this is an answer that someone's life, eternal life, is hanging in the balance. And so let's just note that the answer to this question, what is a Christian, is the same answer as it was 50 years ago. It's the same answer as it was 500 years ago. It's the same answer as it was 1,000 years ago and so on. Clothing, styles, and trends will change, right? In many cases, 
They should change. One day, button-down shirts will be out of style. And then what am I going to do, right? That's fine. Food trends will change. Hairstyles, they will change. (laughs) They should change, I think. However, the answer to the question, what is a Christian? It will never change. It can never change. It may never change because the one who gave the answer, God, is unchanging. Times, trends, social, scientific advancements will not ever change the answer to the question, what is a Christian? And so what Paul does here for us, he goes from theology to practicality, from explanation to application. And so this morning we have three straight points. Uh, They're right from the text. If you have a worship folder, if you turn it to the back, you'll see those points before you. And what we're going to do is try to answer the question, what is a Christian? Okay? And the first point begins like this. What we once were. What we once were. It was really hard for me to get Barbara Streisand out of my mind this week because she has that song, you know, memories like the corner of my mind of the way we were. And, and I think she's a lovely sing- singer. I think she's beautiful, by be honest with you. But anyway, that's just me. <laughs> but the point is, is the first point, what we once were. And so what Paul does is describe what the Christians in Colossae And so the Christians in Cohasset and all Christians were before they became a Christian. And incidentally, what all people are right now who are not a Christian. So what he does, he he describes it, and I kind of put it in three subheadings, which I think are on your worship folder. We were alienated from God, enemies of God, having behavior, essentially nothing like God. Now, it's not a very pretty picture. And it's certainly not a picture that religious people want to hear. And it's certainly not a picture that secular world would say, yes, yes, that is what we are. But it is clearly what God says we were and are, depending on where we stand this morning with Jesus Christ. So first of all, humanity outside of Christ is alienated from God. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses for alienation means total estrangement, total separation, the parting of ways. The Bible makes this very, very clear. Let me give you one example from the preacher Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah 59.2. Isaiah says this. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Now that is a difficult true picture that the Bible gives. Sin, Isaiah says, is what has alienated us from a holy God. Sinful men and women are alienated from a holy God. Now, again, this is very hard for people to accept. People like to think that because God is love and God is everywhere, he's always for them. And all you have to do is kind of go avatar with God and plug into God somehow and everything will be fine, which is nothing more than pantheism. The pantheist says this, that God is contained in this universe and he is in everything and God is in you excuse me, and God is all nature, and God and nature are merely two names for one reality. And that is not what the Bible says. So the pantheist says, therefore, there's no alienation. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's your situation. But it's certainly not your transgressions. It's certainly not your sins. And the Bible says nothing like this at all. It says that humanity is alienated from God as humanity's sin has separated them from God. So think of it this way. A child born into this world is born into this world alienated from God. The the elderly woman at the nursing home who is still in her sins, who rejects Jesus Christ's salvation, as sad as it is to say and as difficult as it is to even think about, 
That woman and that state is alienated from God. The, the nice neighbors that I'm sure we, most of us have. He's across the tree, street. He keeps his lawn perfect. But he's without Jesus Christ. He's alienated from God. Now the New Testament gives us another picture of this. Chapter 2 of Ephesians verse 12. Paul is reminding the Christians of what they were before they came to Christ. And he says this. This is chapter 2 verse 12. That at that time before they were Christians. You were separate from Christ. And he goes on to say you were without hope and without God in the world. That is man qua man. That is man as man. That is man and women by nature. Now, if you think about this separation, just think about it for a moment. It makes a great deal of sense, at least to me, when you hear so many people say that they are on a search to find themselves. Okay, why is it that people are always on a search? So many people are always on a search to find themselves. I mean, they're not lost, right? You can look in the mirror and there they are. So they go on a long trip or they take voyages, Let me tell you what the Bible says. It is because in their heart of hearts, there is this sense of alienation, disinfection, or disaffection, estrangement. They're alienated from themselves. They're alienated from others. And they're alienated from God because the source of all our alienation, the source of all our discord, the source of all our troubles, says the Bible, is humanity's alienation from God because of sin. And again, it's not a pretty picture, but it's the one that the Bible gives us. Augustine said this, the heart of man is restless. This fidgety. Young people and, and, and retired people consider this. The heart of man is restless, fidgety, twitchy, impatient until we find our rest in God. As you think about these things, it's no wonder that people, without even knowing it, embrace the philosophy of nihilism. And I'm sure most of you don't know what it is, but this is what it works out. And nihilism essentially says there's nothing to live for, there's nothing to work for, there's nothing really to do. So I'm just going to just be. And I don't even know why I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm just, but I am going to keep doing it over and over again. Reminds me of a song by the Beatles. I think, I think they captured human alienation to do it to a degree perfectly. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody, doesn't have a point of view. I would add, doesn't really have a thing to do, doesn't know where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Without hope and without God in the world. And that, says the Bible, is the characteristic of every man and every woman until they come to Jesus Christ, alienated from God. Secondly then, still in verse 21, enemies in your minds. So so this is the picture that we need to have. Humanity is not apathetic toward God. Humanity is by nature antagonistic to God and toward God's truth. You tell a believer that and watch the antagonism just shoot out of them. Okay? The issue here with, with humanity is not that they're kind of lazy, droopy, indifferent to God. It isn't apathy. It's enmity, it's hostility, it's hatred towards God by people. Now we need to get a biblical thought going here and we're just going to run through it here. When, when Paul was given his charge to preach the gospel from Jesus Christ, you can read this in Acts twenty six seventeen. This is the words of Jesus to Paul. He says, Paul, I am sending you to them, to unbelievers, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan... To God. That's what Jesus said. 
That's what's happening when the gospel is preached. Turn them from the power of Satan to God. Satan hates God. And all people that are not in Christ, as difficult as it is to say, unfortunately, they are in Satan. John's gospel, Jesus says it like this. Humanity loves darkness. Humanity loves darkness. Now, you can open the newspapers. You can get on the web and just read the headlines for 10 seconds. And you'll get a real clear picture of this biblical witness, what people are outside of Jesus Christ. So it's no wonder then Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians and he says to them, and again, he's reminding them, as for you, remember, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And when you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and you ready, and you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the evil one, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So every person outside of Christ is at war with God. They are enemies of God. So, so, so be in absolutely no doubt. No one except Jesus Christ was born into this world with a good heart. No one. Now, this is the picture that you should be developing in your head. Humanity wants to blame God for all their predicaments. Humanity won't believe that they're sinful. Humanity won't believe that they have transgressed, that, that sin has caused this kind of chaotic chaos in the created order. And so what happens is that people say, well, it's, it's a problem with God. What is God, what are you doing? And God, your law is not right and your justice doesn't seem right. And God, what are you doing? So much injustice, so much heartache, so much pain. How can there be a God? Enemies of God. I mean, how many times have you heard in your witnessing for Christ, people say, please, and I've had people tell me this lots, please don't tell me about God and sin, about heaven and hell. Don't tell me you believe all that stuff. I mean, you look like nice, nice enough sort. You seem like you kind of know what you're talking about. Please don't tell me God in heaven and hell and devil. Why do people say that? Because verse 21, they are enemies with God in their mind. Let's give you just one example. I remember this because it just stuck out at me many years ago. I was doing a hospital call. Someone, it was actually the sister of this gentleman, an older gentleman. He was dying. He was in the hospital. He was outside of Christ. His sister said, please, would you just go down and pray with him and talk with him? I said, absolutely. I went into the hospital. I'll never forget this. He was sitting on the edge of his bed. And I walked in there and I said what you would expect me to say. Hello, my name is Joe Franzone. I'm, I'm a pastor. Your sister called me. I'm so sorry about your illness. And I would like to pray. And I didn't even get the word pray out of my mouth till he is just cussing up a storm at me. He doesn't even know me. And he's about ready to die. And it's blank, blank this and blank, blank that. And he's throwing himself around and throwing stuff around. Why is that the case? I mean, it, I'm not that... <laughs> I just said hello. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could have taken him and if there was a skirmish. He's an enemy of God. I sat there and I said, would you just please listen to me? No, get out, blank, blank. I said, please. I said, I'm going to wait outside for like five minutes and then I'm going to come back in. Will you give me five minutes of your time? No. I said, I'm still waiting outside. He said, oh, I don't care. And I waited, went in, we did the whole thing over again and then I left. Paul wrote, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress the truth. They squash down that which is plain to them. How do they do it? By their wickedness. 
They know, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him, but been their thinking became futile in, and foolish in their minds. Claiming to be wise, they became as fools. Now, despite all the evidence that, that men and women are not good by nature, men, people still say, many people still say that men and women are good at heart. And so they go like this. Well, if you could just fix up their external conditions, then everything will be fine. Can I ask you how that's working? So people say, it's not us, it's our environment. It's not us, it's other people. It's, it's they're the problem. Things that have happened to me are things that have been done to me. That's the problem. That is not the cry of the penitent Sinner, that is the cry of the unrepentant, alienated enemy of God. Jesus Christ was faced with the exact same line of thinking. He, he was faced with the same issue. People were saying to him, Jesus, it's not what outside of a person that makes them unclean. It's what, it's, or excuse me, it's the stuff, outside stuff. That's what they were saying. All the outside stuff makes us do what we do. And Jesus had to correct that thinking. He said, listen, don't be foolish. It's not what outside that makes us evil. It's what is inside. And then Jesus says by way of authority, where do evil thoughts come from? Where does immorality come from? Where does theft, murder, uh, envy, evil, slander, where does it all come from? Jesus says inside of the heart of Joe Franzone, inside the heart of men and women and young people. And again, it's not very flattering, but it is very true. Alienated from God, enemies of God, Behavior nothing like God. Verse 21, we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And go right back to what we said so often behind this box. Belief and behavior. What one believes will always work itself out in how one behaves. As a person thinks, so are they. Now there's something interesting about this word evil behavior that Paul chose. There's about three or four Greek words that, for evil that you could have used this word that he used doesn't have the sense of immorality. It has the sense of being mischievous. Think of it this way. This evil is working at itself against the good that God has given, the good God has revealed, the good God is doing, and the good God calls people to. And so this person is kind of like a cog in the wheel, always messing things up, always slowing things down, being very, very difficult. Mischievous is kind of this childish kind of fighting and warring against God. Evil hearts, evil deeds, evil mind, evil deeds. Our condition is always revealed in our conduct. Now we've got to get on to the second point, but, but this is the picture that the Bible gives us. This is what we are, what we were if we are a Christian. This is what we were before we became a Christian if we are a Christian this morning. We were alienated from God. We were at war with God in our thinking. We opposed God and our behavior just made it all very plain as rain. That is what we were. Now, this is what we are this morning if we are not a Christian. So if you're here this morning, first of all, we are so glad that you're here. Very glad that you're here. But this is what the Bible says you are if you are not a Christian. You're alienated from God. You're God's enemy. And you have behavior now with no reference to God. It's revealed plain as rain in your evil behavior, which you cannot control. John Lennon said a long time ago, there's, there's one thing that nobody can hide. And that's when they're crippled inside. Now, Alistair Begg said in the sermon, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Outside of Christ, no amount of education, relocation, financial advancement, self-enhancement, none of that stuff can fix it. 
First point then, what we once were. Number two now, where we now stand. Verse 22, but now. I love those words, but now. So the desperate position of verse 21, for the Colossian Christians and all Christians, we have been rescued. Verse 21, as God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now that is a massive change. That is what is taking place here. Alienation replaced by reconciliation. Alienated, removed by a radical, radical transformation. God has reconciled us. And, and you want to say, you bet God has. Because loved ones, the grace of God says it takes an act of God from the mind of God through the death of the Son of God to make Christians. That's what Paul is saying there. Reconciliation is something God alone has achieved through Christ so that all the Colossian Christians and the Cohasset Christians and any Christians can do is just sit and stand or stand and wonder and be thankful for what God has achieved in Jesus Christ. That's why Christians, we don't have to be so difficult as we go out into the arena. And as the world changes, we understand that. But the very fact that we're converted and we can see that is a grace. It's a grace. We have been reconciled by God, Paul says, by Christ's physical body through death. So, so you're thinking, people, I'm a thinking person. Why did he say it like that? Why did he say Christ's physical body through death? Well, I'm going to give you the reason. The reason was because there was a problem in the Colossian church. There are quite a few problems in that church. But the problem is what was called docetism. Okay, now don't be thrown by the word, but it, it, the word matters. Docetism says this, that yeah, Jesus was around, but he never had a physical body. He had kind of like a spiritual body with skin over it. So that when Jesus died on the cross, he really didn't die on the cross. He thought he did, they thought he did, but he didn't. And then Paul goes and says, listen, no, we have been removed from this horrible state to this wonderful state by the physical death of the physical body of Jesus Christ. So that Jesus Christ really did live, he really did die, he really did bleed and die, so that everyone who comes to him can really be reconciled to a holy, almighty God. Now, knowing that to be true, I mean, if you just think about that, isn't it any wonder why we would not lay down our whole lives for the Savior Jesus? I mean, isn't it any wonder why we would sing worship songs to Jesus about Jesus? I mean, we're not singing about ourselves, are we? How could we? I mean, we don't come to worship to make something happen. We, we come to worship, worship because something has happened. Christ's physical body, scope of reconciliation. Christ's death is the instrument of reconciliation. So that the only answer we can give as Christians to the question, why am I reconciled to God this morning? The only answer that we can give, I'll give it to you from Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. You ready? Brought near by the blood of Christ. Not, but now, my prayer life is super fantastic and I, it just, it's just rocketing off the charts. Not, but now, I'm reading my Bible all the time now. It's absolutely fantastic. Not, but now, I'm really buttoning things up. I'm really getting things together. All those things are good, but they cannot save. I mean, think through it. How much nearer can we get to God than that which has been provided for us through the merits of Jesus Christ's physical body hanging to death on a tree? How much closer can you get? 
And again, that was the problem of the Colossian heretics. It's a problem in America. Oh man, you want to be really close to God? You want to be close to God more than ever before? Then join our group. Get touched by an angel. Do this, do that. This is what the picture, the, the picture the Bible gives us. I was once alienated from God, but now I have been reconciled to God by Christ's physical body. I was once his enemy, but now I'm his friend. How did that happen? Through the physical death of the physical body of Jesus Christ. I was once under God's wrath, and I feared it. But I don't, long, I don't fear it any longer. I just want to tell people about it. Well, how, how did that reconciliation take place? We sing it many a Sunday. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. And now all I know is grace. So verse 22 has some, you know, reconciliation has implications. And I'm just going to pinpoint it to you. Number one, to present you holy in God's sight. If you're a Christian this morning, this is, this is what God is doing. He separated us from sin and he separated us to him. Right? And that's something that God can do. How is it possible for, for us to be presented to a holy God and be holy in his sight as we know our lives this morning? I mean, how, how is that possible? You tell me. Be real honest. How am I going to be presented holy just as I am before the throne of God? Many people think it's impossible and some people think that they're real capable of, of just working so hard to be holy and keep the commands. Galatians 2.21, if righteousness could be obtained by keeping the law, keeping the commands, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if you or I can make ourselves holy, then Jesus Christ didn't need to die, but he did die. We find this in Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by keeping the commands. Rather, through the law, we become aware of our sin. So when I see God's holy law and what it requires of me, what it demands of me, I have to see myself as a sinner. That's what the law is supposed to do, expose us. But then Paul goes on in Romans 3, 20 to 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law has been made known. This righteousness is given, you ready? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So if you're a Christian, this is where you stand. You are holy in God's sight. You are blameless, verse 23, 22, excuse me, and free from accusation. Blameless means without blemish. Free from accusation. No one can accuse you before God. I put in my notes this morning, you are absolutely beautiful. You are beautiful if you're in Christ. You are absolutely beautiful. When, when our kids were younger, it, my wife and I asked them to memorize the second verse of the song, Before the Throne of God Above. The second verse says this, you, you know what it is. When Satan tempts me to despair, and reminds me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, Christ, who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And the reason we asked our kids to memorize that verse, I, I, I bet it's obvious to many of you. First of all, we wanted them to worship and love the Lord Jesus Christ for what he did. Second, we wanted all their assurance to come from not them, not how they were doing, not they're reading their Bible and not they're praying, look at you, go, go, go for Jesus. We didn't want any of their assurance coming from that. We wanted all their assurance to come from what Jesus Christ has accomplished at Calvary. 
Now, there are all kinds of substitutes out there and additions that will be presented to them as they grow older, right? And people will say, well, listen, I can give you the secret to total victory. And I can give you the secret to a closer relationship with God like you never had before. And I can get you so amped up with God that you'll just be like, whoa, whoa, here you go for Jesus. That is all bunk. It is all bunk. It's pride. It's a lie. And it doesn't humble us like we need to be humbled. Much of that, in my opinion, is just cleverly disguised legalism. You put out an ethical standard. This is what you should do for Jesus. It gives an impression of either self-reliance or self-assurance. You're down when you're not doing it. You're up when you are. That's horrible. So they add on to what the New Testament says. What is a Christian? And so they say you can either be a part of the family of God or you can be higher up than anyone else in the family of God. But it's all wrong. It's all wrong because the righteousness that we need to be reconciled is only a righteousness that is given. That's the picture that Paul is giving to us. How in the dickens am I holy before God? How am I blameless before God? Knowing myself as I am, how do I walk around with no blemish before a holy God? How am I free? How am I free from accusations? One reason. In my place condemned Christ stood. Christ was covered in shame that I could be covered in his righteousness. Christ was forsaken at the cross so I could be forgiven in my life. What were we once? Well, we were alienated. We were at war with God in in our minds and we had lots of evil behavior. Where do we now stand? Verse 22. Well, because of Jesus Christ's physical body is physical death. God has made me holy, blameless, free from accusation in his presence. Verse 22. 23, last point, how we must go on. These things are all true. Verse 23, you ready? If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard. Now, this is what's called the doctrine of perseverance. Perseverance, continuing in the faith, proves faith, genuine character, and therefore it is indispensable in salvation. I'm going to say it again. Perseverance in the faith, continuing in the faith, proves faith genuine character and therefore is is indispensable to salvation. In other words, there's no promise of salvation for those who deny Christ and depart from the faith. There's no promise of salvation for those who deny Christ and so depart from the faith. Just kind of help you. This is why Paul and Barnabas, they were talking to the church in Antioch, Acts 13, and at the very end of their talk, they said this. They urged them to continue in the grace of God. Same word Paul uses in verse 23. They urge them to continue on. Listen to the words of Jesus. John 8, 31. Jesus said, if, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciple. What's the implication? If you do not, then you are not or you never were. The writer to the Hebrews, Hebrews 3, 14. We have come to share in Christ if... We hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Some of you are thinking, and you might be asking, does this imply that a true Christian can lose their salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are told by Jesus that false professions will be made that will be exposed at the judgment. And we are told by Jesus that surprise will be one of the emotions at, at, at the judgment who people who thought themselves in will find themselves out. And we are told by Jesus there will be all kinds of short-term enthusiasts, instant bloom for Jesus, and then instant fade. 
However, Paul is simply saying this. Look at your Bibles. The, the ground of our salvation is verse 22, the shed blood of Christ. And part of the evidence of our salvation is in our continuance in the faith so that we can be assured of what has taken place. When we become a Christian, it will not be revealed like we're going to do whatever we like. That was what got us in trouble in the first place. We reveal this not by doing what we like, but not continuing in sin, but by continuing in the faith that keeps forgiving us of our sin. So if someone asks the question, how can I go on? I mean, don't, do, I hope I'm not the only one that wakes up on like Monday morning or Tuesday morning and you're like, how, how in the world is it going to happen today? How am I going to persevere? Well, perseverance doesn't take place in the life of a believer apart from the power of God. God is committed to see us safely into heaven, which means, and this is what we have to think, who made me a Christian in the beginning of my salvation? God did. He chose me. Who keeps me going on in the middle of my salvation? God did. He keeps restoring me. And how in the dickens am I going to make it safely to heaven? God is. He's going to keep preserving me. He's going to make it so that I can continue on in the faith. You know, it's funny, when we give public testimonies here. We're, we're real concerned about the beginning of some, how someone became a Christian. We're like really concerned, and, and we should be. But you know, in the New Testament, they're more concerned about the ongoing work of salvation. They're more concerned if you're continuing in the faith. Are you established, verse 23, on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ? Firm, firm in the face of mass opposition against the once and for all sufficiency of Christ's physical death. That's the great enemy of the Christian. That, that someone would say Jesus Christ is not the only way to God. That is the enemy. That is the evil one. Not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. We sing the song, there is a hope. There is a hope only because of Jesus Christ. So that when men deny that hope, when, when men move away from that hope, when they make fun of it, when they try, try to add to it, the persevering Christian just keeps proclaiming it. We just keep relying on it. We just keep, keeping, keep thanking God for it. For the persevering Christian is convinced that the only way a sinful, alienated enemy of God can be reconciled to a holy God and be without fault and be free from accusation before the throne of God, the only way that's going to happen as we continue on till Christ returns or he calls us home is the physical death of the Son of God at Calvary's cross for our sin. That is what we glory in. That is what we glory in. So loved ones, if you believe in Jesus your sins can be forgiven and you will live forever with God because Jesus Christ is the only way because he alone has solved your only real problem. Your only real problem is sin. Sin. Now this is good news if you're a Christian. I mean, if you're a Christian, I would walk out of here going, I'm a holy person. I am without fault. I have no blemishes. I am absolutely beautiful. Because of Christ, I am beautiful. I mean, you sh- you're allowed to do that self-affirmation. <laughs> Just do it. Some of you look like you could use it. <laughs> Just say, because of Jesus. Oh, that was meant to be nice, not mean. You're beautiful. Because of Jesus Christ. But if you're not a Christian, then what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Thank you for your attention. Let's bow together.
God and Father, we thank you that in the incarnation you sent your son to save us. In election, you chose us. In our calling, you drew us to yourself. In adoption, you made us your children. And in perseverance, you keep us safe until the very end. Father, knowing that men and women in the final analysis are morally and spiritually helpless, we beg you, God, in mercy and grace to awaken this generation, to awaken our friends and our neighbors and maybe our sons and our daughters and our family members. We beg you to awaken them for their need of Christ. Awaken them to the reality that they are alienated from you. They are enemies of you because of your behavior and offer them the free gospel of Jesus Christ, which makes everything new so that they can be holy in your sight, free from any accusation and no blemishes as you safely lead them and keep leading them into their final destiny, which is our forever destiny, your heaven. So we would ask you, God, that they would turn to you and they would receive everlasting mercy and everlasting salvation. Now to the congregation this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. One last thing before we sing. If you have any questions about Jesus or the Bible or what you heard today, I'm going to stand down there for a while. And please, I welcome, welcome you.